The funeral for Pearl Gantis is this afternoon at 2.30. If you want more information about where, please send, see Linda Lydell or myself. We miss Pearl. We are glad she is with the Lord. Well, I hope you've enjoyed these hymns of praise surrounding the birth of Christ. Joshua will wrap up this mini-series on Christmas Eve right here at 4 p.m. And then after that, we'll have two sermons from the book of Hebrews, one from Dan Arthur and one from Rick Pedelford, which will be a great way to end one year and begin another. So look forward to that. Today we are in Luke chapter 2. I'd like to pray for the Holy Spirit's help and work in our hearts right now. Holy Spirit, we do, we ask you to fill us, and we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, grant that we would behold wondrous things in your word for our good and for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Emily's going to read our passage beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice, according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Emily. I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait. I guess it speaks to my tendency toward impatience, but I don't like to wait, do you? When there is an accident on the road backing up traffic, I will take any detour, no matter how long it takes me, 
because I just want to keep moving. I don't want to sit there waiting. I want to move. Anything but being stuck there waiting. Because waiting is hard, isn't it? It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. And yet, the Christian life involves waiting. Now, let me say that more strongly. The Christian life requires waiting. We wait for all kinds of things, for a trial, a difficulty to end, a sickness to be over, a disease to be healed, a loved one to turn back to the Lord. We wait for many things, but most of all, we wait for Christ's second advent, His second coming. We wait for the Lord's return when He makes all things new. We wait. We wait for that time described in Revelation chapter 4 when, quote, our God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. We wait for that time, don't we? The Christian life requires waiting, hoping, Enduring. How are you doing with that? No, honestly, how are you doing with the waiting? How are you doing in the waiting room of the Christian life? You tired of the waiting? Weary from the waiting? You find yourself here in this park this morning discouraged, discouraged by the waiting, maybe finding yourself running to other things to escape the thought of the waiting. You are numbing yourself, perhaps, because of the waiting. Listen, God, through His Word today, God, through our passage, wants to help you and me with the waiting. He shows us two Elderly prophets, Simeon and Anna, both describe here as waiting. Along with others, they are waiting. And if we learn from their waiting, we will benefit for our own. If we learn from their waiting, we'll learn about the one for whom we wait. And then we'll be able to say, the wait is worth it. I believe that's the the effect God intends today, that we leave this park saying the wait is worth it because He is worth it. Well, let's see that as we track through this story. Like most stories, it has a setting, a context, and then a climax, and then a kind of resolution. So let's Three, see those three parts, the setting, the climax, the resolution, to help us with our waiting. First, the setting. I think you could label it as law fulfilled. Law fulfilled. For Joseph and Mary, their child has been born, and now some ceremonies must be adhered to according to the law. Mary's purification after childbirth and this firstborn son's dedication to the Lord, as we read, beginning in verse 22. And when the time came for their purification, probably Joseph and Mary there, according to the law of Moses, they brought him 
up to Jerusalem to present him, Jesus, to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. See, for a mother's purification after childbirth, the typical sacrifice was a lamb. But if you couldn't afford a lamb to sacrifice, you could sacrifice two doves, two small birds. And that here in verse 24 is the sacrifice Joseph and Mary make, the offering of the poor. It speaks again to the humility of the incarnation. God the Son clothing himself in our humanity and deliberately growing up in rather poor and humble circumstances. In fact, in Luke's gospel, the poor are the people for whom Jesus most came to identify with and deliver. But Joseph and Mary are also here to dedicate their firstborn son, again according to God's law. But the child didn't need to be brought to the temple for this. Joseph and Mary are really going above what the law prescribed, and that's a theme you may have noticed in this setting. Their deliberate obedience to God's law, their deliberate law-keeping. Notice it again. Back in verse 22, we read, according to the law of Moses. Then in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. And then verse 24, in the law of the Lord. Again, verse 27, skip down to verse 27. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. And you get a nice summation in verse 39. Look at verse 39. When they had performed what? Everything according to the law of the Lord. You get the point, don't you? You can't miss the theme. Law-keeping in this setting. Why? Why is that an important theme as the context of our story? Well, Galatians chapter 4 tells us why. It says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, that's Christmas, born of a woman, born under the law. That's what we're reading about. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That's the setting, purpose here. Born under the law, this Christ child, to redeem, to purchase those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. I recently read Stephen Ambrose's account of Lewis and Clark. It's entitled Undaunted Courage. I recommend it. It's a riveting account of Lewis and Clark trying to find a water route across the continent for the newly purchased Louisiana Purchase. So they set off going up the Missouri River with the goal of connecting directly with the Columbia River to take them straight into the Pacific Ocean. So a nice water route across the continent. But they ran into a small obstacle. We call this obstacle the Rocky Mountains. 
a seemingly insurmountable obstacle. Well, God's law, particularly His, his moral requirements, it, it towers above us, towers over us like some insurmountable mountain range. We can't climb those mountains ourselves. God's moral requirements, they show us emphatically there is no way for us to get to God on our, on our own. We need a representative to cross that mountain range in our place. We need a, a pioneer to blaze that trail in our stead. So Christ took on our humanity as our representative, as our pioneer, born under the law, to fulfill that law in your place. That's why this setting matters for our waiting. You see, it's not, it's not enough for Christ to die for your sins. I wonder if that surprises you. It's not enough to have your sins paid for at the cross. You also need perfect righteousness before God. Perfect moral standing before the infinitely holy one. But you can't cross that mountain range. So this Savior obeyed in your place. He fulfilled every single moral requirement of God. Just think about the Ten Commandments, that summary of God's moral requirements in the law. Christ kept every single one perfectly every day, and he did so from the heart, with perfect motivation. So where you and I fail, and we fail at each one at some point, where you and I fail, he succeeded. Where you and I fail, rather, he obeyed. And his obedience is credited to you by faith for all who believe. That's the setting. Christ being born under the law. And so, the law has been fulfilled. Now we begin to see why our wait is worth it. But let's track further. Let's see the, the climax here of the passage of the story, the climax of their waiting. I think you could label it promises kept. Promises kept. Verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting. Do you see that? Waiting. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, God's Messiah. Now, we know nothing more about this Simeon except that he's waiting, waiting for Israel's consolation, Israel's comfort. It became a technical term for the Messiah. God had told him that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah, until he had laid eyes on the Christ. So he's waiting, he's waiting, he's waiting. On June 3, 1981, William Thomas pitched a tent outside the White House 
with a large sign that read, Live by the bomb, die by the bomb. He was protesting nuclear weapons. He showed up every day with this sign. And then days became weeks that he protested. Weeks became months. Months became years. Rain or shine, he manned his post until he died in 2009, almost 30 years later. That might give you a feeling for Simeon's experience. Every day at his post, rain or shine, all weather, any temperature, days become weeks, weeks become months. It appears months became years. It appears he's been waiting quite a while, watching, hoping, until one day the wait was over. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him, Jesus, up in his arms. Parents, can you imagine? This man just walks over and grabs your baby. He blessed God. He praised God and said, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And this song of praise is known as the Nunc Dimittis from the Latin translation of Simeon's words, now let depart. Now he can depart, he says, now he can die in peace because he has seen the Messiah, and that's enough for him. That's enough. Now you are letting your servant or your slave, your bondservant, depart in peace, according to your word, according to your promise to me, but not just according to God's promise to Simeon. Notice what he says next, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. See in Christ. My eyes have seen your salvation. That Notice that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. The salvation you have, you have prepared, that you have promised. Prepared by God's design. In the presence of all peoples. Prepared prepared throughout the unfolding of human history. We might go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3 when God promised a deliverer, but particularly in Genesis 12, in God's promise to Abraham, when God says in part, Abraham, look, through you, I'm going to bring blessing to all families, all peoples of the earth. God has prepared in the presence of all peoples. He has promised this salvation. Notice how it's described, verse 32, a light, a light for two things. First, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, or you might say to the nations. And actually Jesus 
used a form of that same word when he's about to return to heaven and said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what Simeon prophesies. He's a light for revelation to all ethnicities, all races, every tribe, language, people, and nation. And probably, probably he had in mind God's promises through the prophet Isaiah. Like the one we recited earlier from Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light, light has shone. For unto us a child is born. Or Isaiah 42, 6 of his servants, God says, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light, a light for the nations. Or Isaiah 49, 6, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The salvation God had prepared and, and promised and promised a light for the nations. And second, a light, it says, for glory to your people Israel. The, the tree of salvation was planted and grown in the soil of ancient Israel. God brought salvation for all through ancient Israel to their glory in that sense. And the elderly prophetess Anna chimes in, it seems, with a similar hope. She says in verse 38, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all, to all who were waiting. Here's more waiting. To all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, representing Israel. So it's not as if, it's not as if God said, well, darn it, it didn't work out very well with Israel. Plan A with Israel failed. I got to go with plan B. I got to send my son for the nations. No, this was his plan all along. Christ coming through Israel for all people. That has always been his plan. Luke's purpose in writing this book, he says in chapter 1, is for assurance. And I am confident he's assuring his Gentile readers that Jesus really is for them and for us. But it's an assurance here for our waiting also, isn't it? These promises kept, they should assure me and you for our own weight today. Titus chapter 2 says we are, quote, waiting, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Christian is defined by waiting. It's a life of waiting, waiting between those two advents, those two comings of Christ. But God promises, my son is coming back. Our blessed hope is coming, the one for whom we wait. And the point here is, God always keeps his promises. He prepared this salvation before all peoples. He's going to keep the rest of his promises. He always keeps his promises. That's the application. Know that God will be faithful to his promises in Christ. 
Think about the things we seek to numb ourselves with when the waiting is hard and our hearts are broken and some run to drugs, some run to excessive alcohol, some run to excessive entertainment, some run to excessive work. All kinds of things, all kinds of ways we can seek to numb ourselves. But what we need, friends, is this truth. What we need is this reality. Your waiting is not in vain because God keeps his promises. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard the waiting is right now, it's not going to be in vain. God will keep all his promises in Christ. Your salvation will be complete fully and finally one day. That's kind of the, the climax of the wait, at least for Simeon and Anna here. But there's a resolution we should see. So third, the resolution, you might say, of our waiting. I think I would label this destinies divided. Destinies divided. Law fulfilled, promises kept, and then destinies divided. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them, Joseph and Mary, and said to Mary, his mother, words I, I don't think Mary was expecting. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. An, an ominous note now struck. The child, it would seem, brings division. Some falling, some rising because of him. You see, Jesus brings a, a universal offer of salvation, salvation for all peoples but not a universal salvation. This is not salvation for everyone, everywhere, automatically. It's a universal offer, not a universal salvation. Some will rise, some will fall. As Simeon says in verse 34, the child will be a sign that is, is opposed. And then this gets really personal. To verse 35, to Mary, and a sword a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And the word used there is for a large sword, a, a large double-edged blade piercing her soul, piercing the seat of her emotions. He's talking about sorrow and pain personally. Sorrow and pain she'll experience undoubtedly when she sees her son hanging from a Roman cross, being executed like a slave. Here's our first hint in Luke that this salvation will come at a cost. And to this point, it's been joy to the world, peace on earth. To this point, it's been good news of great joy. Now it's, it's going to get opposed. Mary, this is going to hurt as Isaiah also prophesied of this child, quote, he was despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53. So now there's, there's rejection implied here. There's division happening. Some falling, some rising. Notice how verse 35 ends. So that, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's kind of frightening. The child born at Christmas looking so innocent and helpless as a baby in the manger, that child is a litmus test revealing our hearts before God. That child is a, a plumb line, a, a string with a weight that you hang to see if something like a wall is out of alignment. The child is going to be a plumb line showing if we're out of alignment with God. And if we're off, we have to adjust, not him. We have to change our minds to repent. I heard the story of someone whose, whose check engine light came on in their car. And their solution was to take a piece of black electrical tape and put it over that warning light. Just ignore it. Ignore the problem, it'll go away. You can't do that with this. You can't do that with Jesus. Ignorance is not bliss here. Before us is a bright, flashing warning light. The one born at Christmas reveals our hearts. Some will fall and some will rise because of him. Teenagers, young people, are you hearing me? Are you tracking with this? Destinies are divided here. A response is required because, because in Christmas, God offers you peace, reconciliation. Ray Ortland tells the story of Lieutenant Hiro Onoda of the Japanese Army. True story. In 1944, Lieutenant Onoda was sent to the Philippine island of Lubang, ordered to fight on indefinitely. Onoda never got word when the war ended some months later. So for 30 more years, he went on fighting World War II. He lived in hiding, came out at night to steal food from villages, shot at people now and then, so the Philippine government dropped leaflets in the jungle, asking him to come out. When the leaflets didn't work, they brought loudspeakers in and shouted, Onoda, the war is over. One day they brought his own brother, who stood at the microphone and begged his brother to give up, but he didn't believe him. He fought on until 1974 when the Japanese government sent his old commanding officer who ordered Anoda to surrender. For 30 years, he rejected the good news of peace. For 30 years, he refused to accept the peace offered to him. For 30 years, fighting a lost war, that's how we can be ourselves. Trapped in a war of our own making, 
warring against God, shaking our fist at God when He offers us peace, reconciliation through the one born at Christmas. For 2,000 years, God has been dropping leaflets in our jungle, and He's dropping one in your life today. Christ has finished His work. Christ has accomplished His victory. Peace with God can be yours if you surrender to Jesus and trust in Him today. But for those who have received this peace, Christ will bring not not your falling, but your rising. Your rising. He has already raised you out of your sin already raised you out of your guilt and shame, already taken you up out of the pit of destruction. So wait patiently, brothers and sisters. Wait patiently. Christ will yet raise you on the last day. That's his promise. John 6, 40, quote, This is the will of my Father, that everyone, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's, in effect, what Simeon prophesies. That's what you wait for. That's what he will do for you. I know the waiting is often hard. Waiting for that trial to end. Waiting for that sickness to be over. Some of you have been so kind to pray for me for about a year and a half. I've had some digestive challenges, and I find I just get tired of waiting. I'm getting better. Thank you for praying. Getting better. But it wears you out, doesn't it, when you're suffering, or you don't feel well, or your child is breaking your heart. You just want the waiting to end. But you can say today, the wait is worth it. You can leave this park saying, the wait is hard, but the wait is worth it. The law has been fulfilled for you, Christ born under the law. God's saving promises have been kept and will be kept in full. And Christian, you will be raised in Christ. So, of every moment of pain, every heartache, every moment of suffering, it's possible for you to say, the wait is hard, but it's worth it. It'll be worth it when you experience those words from Revelation 4. God wiping away every tear from your eyes. It's worth it then. Worth it when death is no more. No more crying. No more pain. Worth it when the former things have passed away. Worth it because best of all, you see him face to face. So keep waiting patiently, brothers and sisters. That's my exhortation to you. Keep waiting patiently because he is worth it. The one born at Christmas. The wait is worth it because he is worth it.
Let's pray. And we'll take the Lord's Supper together. And I want to pray for you in particular if you have arrived here this morning weary and feeling worn out and discouraged. I want to pray for you if the waiting seems particularly hard right now. That God would minister to you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for this encouraging story. Our Savior born under law to redeem and bring us adoption. Long promised salvation And yet your promise is kept. And the promise of being raised one day, experiencing your salvation fully and finally when Christ returns. Would you now, Spirit of God, encourage our hearts as we endure many things Help us to leave this park saying today, the wait is worth it because you, Lord Jesus Christ, are worth it. Would you help us? Would you meet us? Would you strengthen us this way? We ask you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.